Welcome to the audio podcast of The Father's House. We hope and pray you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. So come on, I'm so glad you're here. Would you join me by standing on your feet today as we welcome our senior pastor, Pastor Dave Patterson in Vacaville, California. And stay standing as he prays over us. Come on, let's stand on our feet. Let's give Jesus some praise today. And could you welcome all our little locations right now? Napa, get on your feet. East Bay, come on. Let's welcome Calgary, Canada, Prison Church Network, the ladies at Napa State, East Bay, Roseville, Slavic Ministry, anybody I forgot, come on, give them some love today. All right, stay standing. I want to I pray over you. I want to pray over you before you're seated. I want to pray that you hear from the Holy Spirit today. There, there's, there's thousands of people watching and connected through all our locations, and every one of you has a unique story. You're walking through a unique season. you got specific needs, goals, desires, bondages, things that are happening in your world, and the Holy Spirit knows that. And the power of the Word is this. The Holy Spirit will come in the next few minutes and speak directly to every heart. I believe that. I want you to be open for that. Word of God is alive and powerful. And then we're not here for a chat or a sermon or a lecture. We're here to encounter the living Word of God. And God's going to speak to you. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in every space, every location, every campus. We ask you to come and rest upon us. Lord, we're here because we're your children. We're your, your church, your sons and daughters, your bride. And Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? Jesus, this is your house, and we honor your word, and we give you this time. Changes for all eternity. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Come on, you can be seated. And today, I want to challenge you to, to seek God with us. This series we're jumping into, Seeking God, because there's a sure promise connected with it. It's if you seek him, you're going to find him. And when you find him, listen, you don't find religion. You don't find condemnation. You don't find guilt. When you find him, you find healing. When you find him, you find peace. When you find him, you find direction. So we're going to seek the Lord together. And I'm going to talk to you about starting your year by seeking and pursuing God through fasting and prayer. Now, as we talk about that, I realize in our community, there's people that have been walking with God 20, 30 years, maybe more, 40 years. There's others that you're new to your faith or you're making a comeback to faith. And so as I talk about this, uh, we're going to give you some resources. I want to equip you because we want to build, lean in, we want to build disciples, not casual church attendees. When Jesus calls you, he doesn't call you to be a church attender or a nominal Christian or a cultural Christian, whatever the heck that is. He calls you to be a disciple, a disciplined follower of Jesus. And so that's, that's what I want to help you do today is to, to live a life where you're pursuing him in such a way that you're following his guidance. And God has a gift for you today. It's this. He wants to open a door so you can walk with divine direction. I want to talk to you about how a life of pursuit will create divine direction in your life. And, and it's an ab abundant life that God has for us. He never leads us into less than. He's not trying to minimalize your life or cause you to live in some rigid, you know, rules and regulations. Jesus said, it's the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I've come that you might have an abundant life. You know, the Apostle Paul, he prayed for you, said, I'm praying that you would experience the exceedingly abundantly more than all that you can ask or imagine. Now, if you're a churchgoer, if you're a Bible person, 
You could probably quote Jeremiah 29, 11. It's an Old Testament verse, but it's for us today. And so I'd like us to read it out, all locations. Bring this up on the screen. And would you lift your voice? Let's read it out together. Ready? Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That is God's heart for you. Prosperity, hope, future, good plans. But the promises of God, the majority of the promises of God in your Bible are contingent upon your behavior and your partnering with God. In other words, they're conditional, not non-conditional promises. In other words, God says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you call on me, I'll answer you. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. If you will, I will. If you will, I will. So as you press on past Jeremiah 29, 11, what's next is verse 12 <laughs> with the conditions in it. Here's what he says. I'll read it in the Amplified. You will call on me. You'll come and pray to me. I will hear your voice and I will listen to you. Then with a deep longing, you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity. And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. These interchangeable words, seek and search, the Hebrew, it means to create a well-worn path to the object of your pursuit. So God says, run after me. Keep running after me. Make me a vital necessity in your life, not a sideline experience. And when he becomes the main thing, the center of our heart, upon the throne of our heart, when we're loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the first and greatest commandment, he says, you're going to find me. So I'd like us one more time to lift our voice and read together all locations. Let's read that verse. Ready? Here we go. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all. Hey, how's your heart today? How's your heart headed into 2024? Where is your heart? Is your heart focused on him? Jesus said you'll know where your heart is because that's where your treasure will end up. And your treasure is, in fact, your finances, but it's beyond that. Your treasure is your time. Your treasure is your passion. Your treasure is your mental focus. So right now, at all locations that are in, you're in the room today, you are making a statement that my heart is in the house. My heart is toward him. But God is not looking for a partial heart commitment. He wants all your heart. And I want to challenge you. If you've been a borderline fringe Christian, you audit church occasionally, someone drug you in here, threatened to buy you a free lunch, so you said, okay, I'll go, or thought maybe your girlfriend might, might bring you or something. Whatever your motivation is, I believe this is a divine encounter where Jesus is saying, son, daughter, it's your day to give me all of your heart. And when you do that, you're going to find him. This promise, this this line of promises of seeking and finding is throughout the Bible. I love Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anybody comes to him, first of all, you gotta believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Now, in seeking God, there's a powerful weapon that God has given to the church. And let's look at this verse here before I tell you about that, this one, but there's a verse in 2 Corinthians 10.4 you might be familiar with. The word says that the weapons of our warfare they're not physical. They're not weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So God tells, you know, Joshua, he says, I want the children of Israel to march around Jericho seven times and don't say a word. Well, that seems ridiculous. And uh, don't take any weapons as you conquer this city. Your weapon will be obedience, silence that turns into a shout of praise. God tells Moses, 
Simply take that staff, that sheep stick in your hand, and stretch it out over the Red Sea, and you will see victory. I mean, go through the Bible, you're going to see God asking people to do ridiculous things. To the human mindset, they seem unreasonable, but they're weapons of warfare. Do you know that when you lift your hands in praise, it drives back the powers of the enemy? When you sing, it changes the atmosphere. When you sing over your home, many times I, I've told people just a word as I'm praying for folks, I encourage people to lift up their voice in their home. Walk through the halls of your house. Anybody in the room at all locations, if you've ever experienced night terrors and demonic influence in your home, just get out the book of Psalms. It's all good stuff, you know. You know where Psalms is. My Bible flops right open. It's right in the middle. And, and pick a psalm, any psalm. And, and begin to sing out. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God. God's his love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. He spread out the earth as a garment. He made the great lights. I'm just... I'm in the Psalms and I'm walking through my house. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will ever be in my mouth. Yeah. Now, whatever you sound like, it don't matter. Compared to the angels in heaven, ooh, you're pretty sketchy. But the demons in hell will tremble when you sing out the word of God. Because it's a weapon. The weapons of our warfare don't make sense. And there's a weapon that God's given you. It's called fasting and prayer. Now, if, if you're new to the team, you're like, great, my first time at church, I brought a friend. He's talking about starving yourself. Is this a cult? Can we get the keys? Makes me hungry just thinking about it. Fasting, because what fasting does, it denies your flesh. The greatest enemy in your spiritual journey is your fallen nature and your flesh. Let's think about it. Your flesh is always saying, eat it, drink it, smoke it, sleep with it, do it, do more of it. And your spirit man is wanting to and leaning into submission and obedience to the word of God. What fasting does, it strikes a death blow to your flesh so that your spirit man can rise up. You're going to begin to hear the word of the Lord. Over a season of fasting and prayer, you're going to hear from God. And hearing his voice will change your direction. It will set you on a path of divine direction. Now, if you are new to the team or maybe you forgot why we fast, bring this up. Here's a prayer guide. I wrote this many years ago, updated it. A guide to prayer and fasting. It's pretty thorough. A lot of Bible in there. A lot of instruction of, of how fasting will help your life and how to do it. All the way down to, you know, check with your doctor if you have medical conditions. We're not asking everybody to jump in and go 14 days with water. It might be a meal a day for you. Or you might step into what's called a Daniel fast. Read Daniel chapter 1, chapter 10, where he said, I'm not going to eat the, the, the meat and the sweets and drink the wine of the king. And he went on a, a diet of just vegetables for 21 days and saw a great breakthrough. So there's a variety of fasts. You'll read that in there. But what I want you to know is there's a place for you to enter into this exercise as a disciple, and you're going to find some divine guidance. So, so check that out. And fasting is for today. This is not some antiquated practice. It's an unused weapon in the arsenal of contemporary believers. See, a lot of people, they just go to church. They go to church occasionally. And maybe they'll open their Bible and they'll crank on a little Caleb. And that's the extent of their devotional life. And then they wonder why they're disillusioned with Christianity 
or discouraged or still have strongholds in your life. You know why? Because there's unused weapons in your weapon closet. You got to crack the door and go, oh, look at this. Fasting, prayer, meditation, private communion, community, tithing, all these weapons that will cause you to live a victorious, overcoming life. They're available, but you got to use them. So I want you to be a man or a woman of fasting and prayer. Jesus talked about this. Let's check out his words. Mark 2, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And can we read the bowl together? And then they will fast. This is then, right now. The bridegroom ascended from the Mount of Olives. 500 people watched Jesus ascend. And he said, in the same way that you see me go, I will come again to receive my bride. There is coming a marriage supper of the Lamb when the bridegroom is united with the bride of Christ and we will have a meal together in eternity. But between his ascension and his return, this is the window of time where he said, my disciples will fast. So it is for today. Now, Throughout the word, there are biblical results of fasting. I'll just do a quick list, and the scriptures are referenced here. If you want to, these will be online and in the small group uh, handout stuff, so in case you want to do a further study. But here's some results of fasting. Deliverance and the breaking of demonic powers, spiritual protection from the attacks of the enemy, the breaking of oppression and spiritual bondage, favor, influence, and authority, physical healing, humility, which leads to promotion, the overthrowing of the enemy's plans, the rescue and healing of a nation, an increase of the power of God in our lives, new open doors for ministry, and clear direction for our future. Does anybody need some of that? There are results when you pursue God. They're unavoidable. They're inevitable. Now, I've got a problem. Let me just confess. My problem is, and maybe you have the same one, I've often lived with the delusion that I know what's best for my future. So I'll make my plans, five-year plan, business plan. Maybe you got a romance plan, a marriage plan. You got a five-year plan. You've worked hard at this plan, but it's unsubmitted to the Lord. And so we run down this road of carrying out our own plans, only end up in, to end up in a destination that is not God's highest call for our life. You see, I was not designed. You were not designed to plan your own destination. There is a loving heavenly father who knows all the days of your life before you were born. His plan is written down in a book. He knows the way that you should take. And so when we say, well, God, I got a plan. Here's the blueprints. Could you just sign off on these, right? We're all guilty of it. But check this out, Proverbs 14. There is a path before each person that seems right to them, but it leads to death. Oh, oops. And some of the worst advice that you could give or receive, and it's very popular in our culture. Anybody ever heard this? Dude, just, just follow your heart, man. Just follow your heart. Go with your gut. Yeah, go with your gut. That always works out great. Nope. It's not good advice. Why? Because of Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. <laughs> it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Oh, wow, that's depressing. Jeremiah goes on to say, but God's going to take out that stony heart, that fleshly heart, and give you a brand new heart that's after him. 
So we're not here to follow our heart. We are here to find the heart of God and say, Lord, my life is surrendered and fully belongs to you. So let me give you three application points to move forward with divine direction in 2024. Number one, fast and pray before you attempt to navigate this next season of your life. Fast and pray. Don't get into self-navigation. I would say looking back, I've been reflective this week, thinking about seasons of fasting and prayer. Before I proposed to Donna, uh, and we got engaged. I spent some days fasting and praying, God, is this your plan for my life? And please let her say yes. <laughs> Before we planted this church, I was in a season of fasting and prayer. And God gave me a word to start a church with eight people that came out of a season of fasting and prayer. Before we launched Prison Church Network, a season of fasting and prayer. And God opened a door to every prison in the state of California. I can testify that direction comes when I seek God and get my agenda out of the way. And so there's this guy in the Old Testament, his name's Ezra. He was a scholar, he was a priest, he was a leader. And God used him to lead the remnant of Israel out of Babylon. God's people had been in Babylon in captivity for 70 years, 70 years. So there were kids in the entourage that grew up in captivity. They never knew what it was like to worship on Mount Zion. They'd never seen the beauty of the city of the great king. And now Ezra, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, begins to take this group and say, we're going back to our homeland. But there was a problem. It was about a 900-mile trek from modern-day Iraq, ancient Babylon, to Jerusalem. This 900-mile trek would take about four months. Now, soldiers could make the journey much faster, but he's talking about taking full families with, with toddlers and four-year-olds and, and infants and elderly people. And along this 900-mile trek, there would, be, there would be thieves and gangs and enemies of the people of God that would delight in killing them and taking all their possessions. It was going to be a treacherous journey. So Ezra, in his wisdom, and just instead of stepping out and saying, well, I hope this all works out for the best, you know, he seeks God. And look at this in Ezra 8.21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones to go. So Ezra wasn't just concerned about himself, but he looked around and he saw these defenseless children. And I'll talk a little bit at the end about the power of praying for and standing in the gap for the little ones. For the hand of our God is upon all those who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against those who forsake him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he answered our prayer. Listen, as you push back that plate this month, take some days or some meals, and say, God, I want to seek your face, he's going to give you divine direction. Now, I don't know what 2024 holds. If the last three to four years are any indication, it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. Huh? What do you think? How many know the world has changed? The political climate has changed. The economic climate has changed. The global military climate has changed. America has changed, whether you confess it, admit it, or not. And so we are living in perilous times. Second Timothy, you're in the thick of it right now. I hope you're aware of it. That's not to produce fear in your heart, but the word says to be sober, be vigilant, be clear-minded, because your adversary, the devil, is roaming around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But you, man of God, you, woman of God, you stand fast in your faith. Know who you are in Christ. Know the word of God. Be grounded and established in the word of God, and you're going to be triumph. Jesus will lead you in triumph in the darkest of days. We got to be paying attention 
And we got to seek his face and he'll give you divine direction. Let me just lean in on somebody right here. If you're in a season of confusion, should I marry him? Should I date her? Should I start the business? Should I move here or move there? Whatever your decision is, clarity comes when you humble yourself, you quiet your soul, and you wait on God. Number two, you got to lose your agenda and wait in the presence of God until he reveals a plan. Here's another problem I have. You probably share the problem. I come to God with an agenda. So before we started the Father's house, I was a frustrated, disillusioned worship pastor. Had some bad experiences at some unhealthy churches. And so before my worship leading experience, I, I dabbled in some construction, thought I was pretty good in it, at it. I wanted to go back into it. I thought, I know how to build houses. I'll do that. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. And I had a job offer uh, in Anaheim, California to go be a worship pastor at a pretty cool church. And I thought, well, I'll strum my guitar for a few more years. I love church. I love Jesus. It's just being on staff. I'm done with that. Holy Spirit wouldn't let me do that. So I began to seek the Lord before we planted this church over an extended time and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And when I got rid of my agenda, now here's the deal. We all have them. We all have business plans and how to make our money and where we're going to move and what we're going to do. They are not inherently wicked. They're probably just not God's highest call for your life. And that's why you must bring your life and your agenda to the altar. Okay, So an altar in the Old Testament was a place where fire would come. Fire doesn't happen without a sacrifice. What's the sacrifice? You are. Just elbow your buddy, tell him you're the sacrifice. Yeah, that's you. You're it. The word tells us to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship, that you might prove and live out the good and acceptable and perfect will of the Lord. So here's what happens when I take my life and my agenda and I put it on the altar and I say, God, it's all you. Through fasting and prayer and waiting and patiently waiting on him, the fire of God begins to burn off what the Bible calls dross. All that can't last. All the temporary stuff. And what remains is silver and gold. And here's how it works. When you take your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, and you place them on the altar and say, fire of God, Holy Spirit, come and purge my heart and my mind. I only want to do your will. God will burn up all the temporary, and what you'll have left is gold. It's silver, it's precious, it's eternal, and you get to keep it. You know, I've had desires in my heart that I've put on the altar a thousand times. I have dreams and visions about this church and a move of God on the West Coast and that will move beyond and how I believe God wants to use us and me and my brokenness and you and your mess. And so I think, ah, it's grandiose and oh, it's just me and I'm fantasizing, whatever. So what do I do? I take it back to the altar. You know what happens, Bob, every time I put it on the altar? It won't go away. It won't go away. Whatever survives the fire of the altar is yours for eternity, and it's God's deposit into your life. And many of you right now, you're carrying some gold. You've got gold in you. You've got silver in you. You've got eternal precious commodities of gifting ministry, entrepreneur, business building, kingdom advancing, skill, but there's just too much dross, too much stuff that's cluttering your mind and heart. I'm calling you by the Spirit of God to lay it on the altar in this season and let the fire of God purify your desires. Amen? Let's get our agenda out of the way so we can live His agenda. 
Look at this in Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had brought, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here's the verse. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, that's so important, he set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. I want you to see this. Prophets and teachers and leaders that came before God at Antioch with no agenda. They just said, we're going to fast, we're going to worship. It doesn't say how long, but they met together for quite some time. And as they waited on God, the Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to get Saul and I want you to get Barnabas, you two guys. Jake, let me borrow you, bro, right here. Come here, just stand up. I want you to take Kenny. I like that necklace, man. I want you to take these two guys. I want you to lay hands on them. And set them apart for the work I've called them to. And here we have this holy moment. It's a Holy Spirit agenda. And two guys who had no idea what they were going to do in their future. In a moment, the prophetic word of the Lord says, I want you to go. And they go on their first missionary journey. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have a seat. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas go out and they begin to plant churches throughout the known world. And then it went to modern day Europe. And because of their obedience, the church that was birthed in Europe crossed the pond centuries later. Well, let me say it this way. You are sitting here today because a group of men of God lost their agenda, fasted and prayed and laid hands on some people and the gospel reached us. So what will happen if you lose your agenda? What will happen if you lay your plans on the altar? What will happen this year if you say, God, not my will, but yours be done? You don't know. And you're not going to know unless you go there. You can't negotiate with God. You don't get to read the end of the brochure. He walks by Peter and he says, hey, drop your nets, follow me. Matthew, leave the tax stamp, follow me. Mark, John, come on, follow me. They didn't get to say, well, uh, is there a 403B and a 401K and a, a retirement plan? And how many weeks of vacation do I get Jesus? And how much sick time? And I need my personal time. I need me, me time. You know, there was none of that. Drop your nets. Let's go. And when they did that, they entered into a non-negotiable future, trusting the Lordship of Christ. This is discipleship. It's not a negotiation and a prayer that says, God, if you'll do this, I'll serve you. What Jesus is wanting from all of us is a full surrendered heart, not based on our merit, not based on what we can get out of a church service or a program, or if there's programs at the Father's house that serve you. This is all about a man that went to a cross for my sin and yours. The only appropriate sacrifice to rid me of the condition of my brokenness and sin that kept me in bondage. The only way to the Father it's through the shed blood of Christ upon the cross. It breaks the bondage of hell and an eternity away from him. When I say, Jesus, you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again. And in that moment, I'm renewed. I'm born again to follow him, non-negotiable. Because what Jesus did on the cross is enough to merit my full surrender. That's, right. That's enough for you. That's enough for me. I don't need promises of wealth and health and prosperity and all my dreams coming true. I just need to know this. He died for me. I will lay down my life for him and I will serve him the rest of my days. And if you'll step into that space and that place, then he says, oh, oh, I got an abundant life. 
beyond what you can imagine. Oh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I'm going to prosper you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ask or imagine. That's what he has for those who lose their agenda. And the last one is this. Use your weapons of fasting and prayer to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Let me lean into this for just a moment. In uh, Ezra and also in 2 Chronicles, one of the reference, there's a Hebrew word that's two words for us, little ones. It says, I want you to pray and fast for a, a way for your little ones, divine direction for your little ones. And, uh, you know, we used to have some little ones and then they turned into big ones and they had little ones of their own and now we have grand little ones. And actually Donna calls our grandkids the littles. She's like, hey, the littles are sleeping over tonight, you know. Now my oldest grandson, Cohen's 13 and Ivor's 11, but Jack's 7, Lucy's 5. And so we got some little ones. And this Hebrew word, it means those who cannot keep up. Those who trip when they are attempting to stay with the adults. This Hebrew word is talking about the length of the gate of a little one. So when they're fleeing from Babylon in this 900-mile trek, maybe there's some enemies, there's some thieves chasing them, and the adults, man, the soldiers, they could run through the woods and jump over stumps and jump over creeks, but not the little ones. The little ones would stumble and fall. So he says, I, I need a way to go where we can protect and guard the little ones. You know, the most powerful form of prayer is praying for somebody else. The most powerful form of fasting is fasting for somebody else. As homework, I'd like you to give a slow read through Isaiah 58. And Isaiah 58 talks about, God says, this is the kind of fasting I want you to do. I want you to fast for those in chains of bondage and oppressed and give your food to the hungry and clothe those that don't have any clothing and, and pay attention to your extended family and pour out your life for them. And when you fast and pray for others, then your light will break forth like the dawn. God will hear your prayer quickly. The glory and the presence of the Lord will be your protection and your rear guard. In other words, when you spend your life fasting and praying for somebody else, God says, I got you covered. I'm going to answer your prayers. I'll pour out my blood. You can't avoid the blessing of God when you fast for the little ones. So I've been praying this week for my, my grandkids. My girls and son-in-laws are men and women of God, and I still pray for them. They have their challenges for sure. But they're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But I'm looking at my five-year-old, my seven-year-old, my nine-year-old, 11, I'm sorry, Ivor. <laughs> and here's what I know. It's not the same world that we grew up in. The world's different now. And if you're raising teenagers, it's a whole different culture. It's a whole different battle. Now, God is big, and they've been born for such a time as this. But I just think we got to pay more attention to the weapons of our warfare. The enemy would love to take out your kids. He would love to take out and confuse them and trap them, the moral culture and the debauchery and the godlessness of our nation. Now I'm hopeful because I know God's going to pour out his spirit and raise up a remnant. But I think it's time for some sobriety in the lives of parents right now regarding our culture. You can fast for your sons and daughters. So let me talk to every parent in the rooms today. Why don't this month you spend some time fasting for your little ones. Push back the plate for freedom and direction for your sons and daughters. And if you're my age or anywhere in this genre, why don't we fast and pray for our grandkids? So I started praying this week for, for Jack and Lucy and Cohen and Ivor and just felt the heart of the Lord. 
God has a call in their life, there's no doubt about it, but the enemy would love to take them out, love them to sweep away in the tide of an immoral culture and a godless culture. What's going to keep them from being fodder for the enemy? What's going to keep them from walking away from the church as so many have done? So many Gen Zers and millennials have shaken their fists and said the church doesn't work. When the church is the hope of the world, Christ loved the church and he gave his life up for her. He's coming back for the church. Not an organization, a bride. And so I'm praying for the littles. I'm praying for the little ones. And Second Chronicles, I see this image of Jehoshaphat, the king, and as the armies were attacking, a massive army that couldn't be numbered, he gathered the entire tribe of Judah. It says that they stood in the temple courts, and he went into the place of worship. He said, God, whether calamity or famine or distress, we will stand in this temple that bears your name. And God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And it says that they stood there with their little ones. I want you to see this image. They had their five-year-olds and their two-year-olds and their teenagers. And they stood hand in hand in the presence of God. And they said, God, our eyes are upon you. We need a strategy. And he called a fast for all of Judah. He said, we're going to push back the carnal and the temporal because we desperately need an answer from heaven. And as they stood with the little ones, God spoke from heaven. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon the gathering, and he gave them a strategy to move forward and advance the kingdom of God. Every time an attack of the enemy came upon the children of Israel, God had a divine strategy. Those who humbled themselves and cried out to God walked into a preferable future. Those that said, we got this, we got the armies and the chariots, those with the spirit of Saul in his later years always fell to the sword. And I'm just telling you, as for me and my house and the father's house and my sons and daughters and our littles, as we walk into 2024, we are not walking in with the arm of the flesh. We're not following our own design. We're not following our own agenda. We're going to humble ourselves, fall upon our knees and say, whatever comes, we do not know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are upon you and we will stand in this temple that bears your name and we will seek your face. Something will happen. Now, every service I've tried to preach these notes, and I haven't made it. Because I've just, it's been different every service, so, and I'm, here I am again. Just a bit of a prophetic rant. Church is going to look different in the future. Amen. Lean in and listen to me. Amen. The casual, convenient church, mega church attender that we've seen over the last couple decades, I think that's coming to a brutal end in the next couple years. I think there's a shifting and a shaking coming. I'm not trying to scare anybody, and you can weigh this out, but I believe this is the word of the Lord. God is raising up disciples in these days. Passionate, wholehearted, I'm running after Jesus, everything's on the table, the world behind me, the cross before me, let's go, let's build a church for the glory of God. So, the casual observers are gonna get uncomfortable. Those in the gray area are going to have to make a decision. And I'm praying for this. Not, not in an angry, vindictive way. No. I just know this. Jesus is re returning for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And in the last days, when gross darkness covers the people, as Isaiah prophesied, that a light will arise. That as culture gets worse, the glory of God will begin to infiltrate the kingdom in such a way. 
I'm just telling you once again, because I've told you this for 27 years, there is coming an outpouring of the Holy Spirit before the second coming of Christ that will gather in a last day's harvest that has been unprecedented in biblical and post-biblical church history. The best is yet to come. It's not just a catchphrase. There is a wave of the Spirit that will divide soul and spirit, that will call people to make a decision. And the casual, the lukewarm will not be able to stand in the fire of God that's coming upon the church. And that is why we fast and pray. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a casual church attender. I don't want to have a religious church. Come on, somebody. Let's have the band come. That sounds like a good thing to do. But as for you, as for your house, will you fight for the littles? Will you stand in prayer? Every grandparent in the room, I want to ask you, this whole month, begin to pray for your grandkids. Every parent, write down those names. You know, I, I do something in my prayer time. I, I write out requests. I write, I, I write names on pieces of paper. And if, if you came into my office, I have a chair with a little kneeling cushion, and it's in front of a cool oil painting of the Wailing Wall that I got in Jerusalem many years ago. And, and I, just, I just put the names down before the Lord. And I just let him, let him sit there and walk around and pray in the spirit, pray with understanding, speak in tongues over him, lay hands on him, get out some anointing oil, whatever, it's your prayer closet. Nobody knows and I'm not telling them. You can get weird in your own prayer closet, it's cool. But lay those names before the Lord. And cry out to God. Fight in the spirit. War in the spirit. Intercede and see what God will do. He promises to break the chains of oppression when you enter into a biblical fast. Last verse, we're out of time. Nehemiah 4.14. Then I looked over the situation and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I hope you're ready to fight. A good fight. Here's why it's a good fight. You win. <laughs>